Praise God. It is so good to be with you. Uh, thank you for welcoming me into your home, even as you are welcome here to mine. I want to give you a little update on our regathering process. Uh, we don't have all the details figured out. Like we said, we're going to begin the regathering process in June, but we know how we're going to get started with an outdoor worship service on June 14th. And I hope you will plan to be a part of it. But it's the best way we know to get as many people together in a socially safe way and just worship and praise God together. So weather permitting, June 14th will kick off our re-gathering with an outdoor worship service. But today, I wanna welcome you to my front porch for the second episode of Home Improvement. Not the television show from the 90s, but an opportunity uh, that we have together since we are stuck at home to learn from our homes about how God wants to reshape our lives. Uh, just like all of our homes need some repair from time to time, so do our lives. Uh, we get out of kilter. Things just aren't working the way they're meant to be. And so we're asking the question in this series, if our life were a house, what home improvement projects would God want to tackle? We were talking about this series and someone said, oh, this series will be great. Getting the house fixed up feels so good. And I kind of felt the same way. But later I thought about it and thought, it might not feel that good to the house. All that hammering and sawing and cutting and nailing. And sometimes the work God wants to do in my life is like that. I'm grateful for the finished product, grateful that God loves me enough to discipline me and, and transform my life, but it doesn't always feel good. So in this series, we're visiting the rooms of my house to ask God, God, what do you want to fix up in our lives? And today, we're out on the porch. I don't actually spend a lot of time on this porch. I don't hang out here. I don't even use the door very often. Our garage is on the side of the house. We normally enter through there. Even when we go for walks in the neighborhood, we normally use uh, the side door or the back door or something like that. In fact, if I'm on this porch for longer than just the time it takes to get to the paper, I'm usually here for just one reason. I'm waiting to welcome someone. Maybe it's a Wednesday night, last four years, I've sat here on the porch, usually playing a video game on my phone, waiting for the guys in my small group to arrive. Or maybe one of my kids is having friends over for a sleepover or to play video games or have a party or something like that. Or maybe some professional is arriving at my home to do some real home improvements that I can't tackle on my own. Maybe I'm eagerly waiting late at night to help an out-of-town guest into our home, find the right house, and get to the guest room. Or maybe it's early on a Friday evening, and we're hosting a party, and I just can't wait for the guests to arrive. Whatever it is, if I'm on this porch, you know that I am waiting to welcome someone. And hopefully, for my personality, I'm waiting to welcome them to a party. I love hosting parties. I've always felt like that's one of the few things that I actually have in common with Jesus. Jesus loved a good party. We get a glimpse of Jesus' public reputation in Luke chapter 7. He says, in complaining to the people, he says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said, He's got a demon. 
the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, John had a public reputation for being kind of a disciplined, serious person, reserved with his company and reserved in his social life, but not Jesus. Jesus' reputation was that he would party with anyone. And he earned that reputation. It wasn't some false rumor. It was pretty much the truth. Early in Jesus' ministry, Mark says, Jesus went out to teach beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And then later, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. And the first thing they did together was host a dinner party. Verse 15, while Jesus was at dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples, for there were many by this point who followed him. The teachers of the law were there, and when they saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Look at that. The first thing Jesus does when he meets Levi, the tax collector, a person who had given himself over to corruption with the Roman government, the first thing he does is go to a party with all of Levi's friends. The tax collectors are there. The sinners are there. Jesus' disciples are there. The Pharisees are there. Everybody was at this party. Again, we can look on in Luke chapter 7. Right after Jesus' scandalous reputation is described, we find that Jesus gets invited to a party with a Pharisee. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see, the Pharisee's expectation is that Jesus would welcome him, a Pharisee, but he would never welcome this woman who lived a sinful life. But Jesus' practice is exactly the opposite. He doesn't decide in advance who he will welcome. In fact, he goes out of his way to welcome anybody to his party. He'd party with the Pharisees, he'd party with the Roman soldiers, he'd party with the tax collectors, and he'd party with the Jewish scribes. He'd party with people who were his disciples and his followers, and he'd party with people who weren't. He'd party with Jews, he'd party with Greeks. Jesus would invite anybody. Everyone was welcome when they partied with Jesus. Proud religious people or proud sinners. Faithful followers of God heartbroken, repentant rebels. Everybody was welcome. And not just to party with Jesus, but, but to follow him. As Sam mentioned in his communion meditation, 
Uh, Jesus' disciples were a mixed-up group. Rich and poor, holy and rebel, Roman sympathizers, anti-Roman zealots. They were women and men, Pharisees and tax collectors. And here on my porch, I think about that example and I wonder, what is my welcoming reputation? Have I demonstrated that I am ready to welcome everyone like Jesus did? Is the word on the street, that man will eat with anybody? Or is it mostly people that are like me that I extend a welcome to? People with similar politics and of a similar race. People with similar education, a similar faith, a similar sexuality. Do I welcome everyone? Or is it just the people I'm supposed to welcome. And, and related to that, who really feels welcome when they're around me? That's the remarkable thing about Jesus. It's not just that he said everybody's welcome, it's that everybody felt welcome. They were glad to be in his presence. I sit here on my front porch and I wonder, do I really do what it takes to make others feel welcome? My wife is great at this. She researches people's allergies and food preferences so that everyone has uh, what they need to eat. She finds out what they're interested in so that everybody has something to do or someone to talk to. I'm not sure I am, though. Sometimes I act like I welcome people, but I really will only welcome them if they'll work to fit in with me and act like me, which, which isn't really very welcoming. And, and what about you? If God were going to remodel your house, would God maybe start with the front porch? Would God try to teach you a new posture of welcome toward all people? The next time you walk past your front door, maybe you can see it from where you were sitting right now, think about this question in your life. How could you take one strategic step to be as welcoming of others as Jesus was. Because that's the thing, if you want to party with Jesus, you got to be ready to welcome anybody. You got to be ready to welcome people you disagree with and don't look like. You got to really be, welcome people who may have a grudge against you and you need to exercise some forgiveness and some repentance and some healing in that relationship. You got to be ready to welcome people who have a lot in common with you and people who have nothing in common with you. And boy, that's hard work, isn't it? You've got to really adapt and respond to others to genuinely welcome somebody when there's not much in common. Because to welcome people, of course, it's more than just to tolerate them, isn't it? I mean, notice Jesus. He doesn't just tolerate these people. He eats with them and laughs with them and goes to parties with them and he blesses them and forgives them and travels with them and invites them to share his life. This is the work of welcoming. And he doesn't just sit around, right? He doesn't just like wait for people to show up. And that's true for me and you. If we want to really welcome people, we can't just stand at the door and hope somebody comes, right? We've got to invite 
and call and beckon. We've got to plan the party and cook the food and send the invitations, make up the guest room, clean off the couch so that people really will know that we are ready to receive and welcome, to practice the hospitality for which the church has always been so famous. That is what I want the front porch of my house to remind me of. Every time I see it, I want to remember I am called to be a person who welcomes like Jesus. I had such a wonderful experience of welcome just last week. I was meeting with somebody face to face, which I'm not doing a ton of right now to try to, you know, avoid the spread of the virus and that. But as we were setting up the meeting, uh, he asked me, he said, hey, are you doing that mask thing that some people are doing? And I said, yes, that I was, and he, he wondered why, and so I explained that, you know, I'd become convinced that if more of us wore masks, it would reduce the spread of the virus, and so I was going to wear a mask to do my part, even though I didn't think that I was sick in any way. He said, well, you know, I'm not really doing that mask thing. I was like, well, okay, you know. There was kind of this pause, and then he just said just the nicest thing. He said, but you know, I'll tell you what, if it'll make you feel better, I'll wear a mask when we meet. And sure enough, when we got there, he had gone and tracked down a mask and put it on and wore it for our whole meeting. And I just thought in that moment, like, this is what I'm preaching on. He made a decision to do something different than what he wanted to do in order to make sure I felt welcome in that relationship with him. And this is what happens when God's people are at their best. Now, we're not always, you know, you, you also have had some sad experiences where people failed to, to welcome others like Jesus did. I remember some sad conversations about politics a few years back when the election was all in an uproar. Some of the saddest I had were two conversations that I had about a week apart with two different people. I don't remember everything about the conversation, but they both ended with very similar sentences. One person said, I don't think I could worship with somebody who voted for Trump. And the other said, I don't think I could worship with somebody who voted for Clinton. I didn't really know what to say. You know, I know they were both in pain. It was the height of the election season. I don't even think either of them really meant it. But we know that Jesus wouldn't say something like that. He might disagree with our vote or disagree with our politics, but he would never reject our fellowship because of it. We know that because of who scripture says he called as a disciple, who he ate with, who he partied with, who he fellowshiped with, who Jesus welcomed. And so as followers of Christ, every time you see a front door, remember, welcome like Jesus. And this posture of welcome, it isn't just our personal practice, right? It becomes our corporate practice. A church can have a reputation of welcoming like Jesus, or quite frankly, not. This welcoming practice must become a community reality. You look at the descriptions of the early church in the book of Acts and in early church history, and you see a church that when every other institution was divided by race and class and economics and politics, the church wasn't. 
the church embraced the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the slave and the master. It embraced people from races all over the known world. And when the church today is at its best, we are just like that. I look around at some of the ongoing racially motivated violence in our country. I think about the death of Ahmad Arbery. And I wonder if the church had a greater commitment to racial welcome and justice, could we have more made more progress as a country if we as a church were better at welcoming people who didn't look like us or talk like us or act like us or think like us? but they were still welcome among us. I think the church could make a difference in this way. And this is why we need a little home improvement. Individually, we need God to make us more welcoming people. Not just be satisfied that I'll be nice when somebody shows up, but instead to make a decision to go out of our way to be kind to those who might not know that they are welcome with us and make sure we express our gratitude when they choose to be with us. And not just individually, but as a church. This is one of the reasons I love Connect Sunday. We do it here every once in a while, and we're in the middle of a virtual Connect Sunday right now, because it's a time to get strategic about our commitment to welcome everyone especially during this time of transition when we're all over the place and we're a little bit scattered. And, and you know, even when we do begin to regather, some people will want to stay online and some people will want to come back in person. Especially in this time, it is essential that we stay connected as a church in community in ways that welcome everyone. I'm so glad for some of the new and creative groups that are launching as part of this virtual Connect Sunday. We've got a virtual cooking class and community that's gonna launch out of it. You could join in with that. A virtual craft group, a brand new Sunday school class called Called Out, exploring how to live uniquely the Christian life. We've got a new group for tabletop gaming that they're going to start virtually because all those games you can play even over Zoom. We've got a group for theology and the movies. We've got groups that are focused on community and groups that are focused on Bible study and groups that are doing both. We've got recovery groups and Sunday school classes that are continuing. And all of these are places that are ready to say to you, you are welcome. You belong here. No matter your background, no matter your experiences, no matter if maybe some other church said you weren't welcome or you were unwelcome or you had to straighten up first before you could be welcome, all of these communities with the message of Jesus are saying you are welcome. So how do you jump in? Well, the, the easiest way is to fill out the online connection card. You've already heard about that throughout the service. Uh, you can find links in the chat or go to our main webpage. On that connection card, there's a box you can check to ask for more information about getting in a group. Here's what I hope you'll do. Here's what I plan to do. I plan to let every front porch I ever see remind me. And I hope it will remind you that whoever you are, Jesus welcomes you. 
whether you feel more like the Pharisee, a religious person trying to be holy, or more like the sinful woman, hoping nobody notices or knows what you've done. You are welcome at the table with Jesus. You're welcome to the feast. You're welcome to the party. He planned it just for you. You were invited and he prepared a seat for you. Let every front porch you ever see remind you that Jesus says you are welcome. And your own front porch, your own front door, would you let it remind you that if you are a follower of Jesus, the same welcome that Jesus has extended to you, you are now called on to extend to others. That you are called to be the same kind of person of welcome to the world that Jesus was when he was here. Let that be your reputation. Oh my goodness, I can't believe them. They'll eat with anybody. They'll welcome anybody. They'll make up the guest room for anybody. They'll show hospitality to anybody because they know that's what Jesus would do. Let's pray. God, teach us to be a people of welcome. God, I ask forgiveness where I have fallen short. I'm aware right now, God, of some times that I've tried to be a welcoming presence, but I've been too stuck in my own world or failed to be accommodating to the needs of others, and they have felt unwelcome with me. Forgive me, God, and teach me to be a welcoming person. And teach your church, God, may we be a place of welcome to all people May these new groups, God, I just pray for a bunch of people, hundreds of people really, would know that they are welcome in these groups and they would jump in and join one of them. Teach us, God, to follow you. Knowing that you have welcomed us, may we also extend that same welcome to others. Standing out on the front porch so that all will know that they are welcome inside to experience the hospitality of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.